All right, we're looking at Exodus 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. Exodus 16, 1 through 36. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to, meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall, you shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part, is the tenth part of an ephah. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we consider it further tonight. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks, that you do not leave us to wonder who you are and what you are like, but you reveal yourself and you do so by your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be with us, uh, that by your Holy Spirit you would actually be present and you would actually do things, that you would cause your word to go out with power, uh, that you would cause us to be able to hear it and to receive it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, since, uh, evidently since 2006, so for 11 years, America has run on what? Duncan. Duncan, right, very good. You watch TV or listen to the radio. America runs on Duncan, that's their slogan, and, and it has been for 11 years. And it's a bold claim, if you think about it. And I'm sure that, right, they're obviously kidding to some degree, but, but you see the idea behind their slogan. Uh, Basically, they're saying that their food and their drinks are what fuels at least a lot of people in this country. And so you should consider, you should come and buy our food and our drink and have it fuel you and your activity. Right? Because obviously as people, we we have to run on something. Right? We've got to have some sort of uh, sustenance, something to sustain us. And so it's not a question of if you're going to eat and drink, it's a question of what's it going to be. And right today, food is a big deal. Um, there's you know, an almost endless numbers of shows about food, um, all kinds of different diets and uh, theories on what you, know, what you should eat and what you should not eat. Um, but yeah, the question for, for you is, you know, what are you going to eat? Um, because you know, after all, you are what you eat in, in a number of, number of aspects. But I think it's fair to say, right, we all know that certainly our bodies need food for fuel. But we, certainly we know that we need more than that, right? We, we also run on more than just food. And I think that's really what's at the heart of this passage. I think this passage is really going to force us, it forces us to ask the question, what is it that fuels your life? What is it that sustains you? We all need something, so what is it that sustains you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you run on? This semester, you know that we're studying through Exodus, and Exodus is the story of God saving his people out of Egypt from from their slavery. And each week we're saying that Exodus is really the pattern of salvation, 
that the way we see God save in Exodus is a template for it's the same way that he saves today. So as we look at these stories and we learn about how God saves his people in them, uh, we can learn a great deal about what it looks like uh, for us here and now to experience God's salvation. And so tonight I think our passage shows us that God, in his salvation, he sustains us. That is to say that God doesn't just save his people in this one-time fashion and then you know, leave them to figure it out on their own. But that he saves his people and then he constantly fuels, supports, sustains his people. So we have two, we're going to look at this in two ways, two main points. First, we're going to look at God's gracious withholding. And secondly, we're going to look at God's gracious provision. All right, so first, God's gracious withholding. So as we begin, let's just quickly, very quickly rehearse where we are, uh, what's been going on. Israel, of course, enslaved in Egypt, and God raises up Moses to lead them out. You have the plagues, and finally Pharaoh says, go. And they, God leads them out into the desert and leads them up next to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind, comes and chases them, and they seem to be stuck And God saves them again by parting the Red Sea. They pass through. And then as Egypt, uh, Pharaoh and his army follows them, he dumps the Red Sea back down on them and destroys the enemy. And so uh, they were, last week we looked at the fact how Israel was truly free. Their enemies uh, are really gone. And so now they've been gone from, it's been a month since they've left Egypt. And they're following God. Uh, following him through the wilderness, and now they can't find any food. So what do they do? Look at verses 2 and 3. They grumble against God. They, They grumble particularly to Moses and Aaron, but the passage is very clear that their grumbling is really ultimately against God. And they say things like they've said before. We say this is sort of a repeated pattern. They say things like, uh, they basically say, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? It would have been better for us. It was better for us back in Egypt when we used to sit by the pots of meat. Right? You just drug us out here to kill us in the desert. And if you think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing that what they don't do, they don't simply ask God for food. I think that's pretty interesting. They, they've just seen God do all these amazing acts. Ten plagues that just dumped havoc and judgment on Egypt and didn't touch them. And then the whole Red Sea thing and, and even more. And yet they get out here and there's, there, there's not food just readily available. And they just, they kind of lose their minds. And not only do they not ask God for food, they really accuse him and say that this is all his fault. And their accusations are really, in some ways, if they weren't true, they would be funny, right? Uh, they don't make any sense. The first, you know, the first thing they say is, we used to sit by the meat pots in Egypt, right? Okay, there's no evidence that that happened. And if they did, I mean, all right, so maybe there was something akin to a meat pot. You can almost be assured, right, that it probably wasn't a pleasant situation, They were slaves in Egypt. It was miserable. But they kind of have forgotten that. 
And then secondly, just the logic of as if this were God's big plan, right? I'm going to do all of these amazing acts and and show you my faithfulness. I'm going to make promises and be faithful over and over and over. Also, I could drag you out here and starve you. Joke's on you, right? It just doesn't make sense. So what is going on here? What is God doing? Well, there's actually some, uh, some good news here. We get, basically, we get Moses' own commentary on what's happening and what he's telling about in Exodus 16 in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Uh, Moses tells us what all this means. And, and it really helps. This is what, sort of how we're framing up our, our talk tonight. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3 says this, And you shall remember, Moses speaking to the Israelites, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And here it is. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. We're going to pick it back up in just a few minutes. But you see what that's saying. Moses' own commentary says that, that this was very purposeful on God's part. That God led them to a place where there is not food on purpose. And his purpose was to test them. And now we've talked about this in previous weeks. You see a lot of, uh, a lot of repeat um, that he's... In a sense, God has done this before. And if you recall, uh, you know, we've said that the test, when God tests his people, it's not like, um, it's not like a test at school, right? Where um, it's not to test them to see, like, all right, here's the test, and you're either in or you're out. It's pass-fail. You're either going to be, you know, be my people or you're not. That's not the point of the test. Uh, the reason that God tests his people is exactly what he said, so that his people can... So that they can know and see what's in their own hearts. The test exposes what's true about our hearts. And what God's exposing in them is sort of a a progression of things. He's exposing them to see that they have this huge need. Right? He's forcing them to see that as human beings, you are dependent. You need food to live. And, and he's forcing them to see that they can't provide that food themselves. And even more than that, he's exposing their hearts to show that, that, what they, that their default is to not turn to God to meet their need. It's to turn to anything else and, and really to accuse God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, over spring break, our family went to the, the baseball game. And as we were leaving the baseball game, you know, all, what, five of us are sort of filing out. And uh, our youngest is sort of lagging behind. And we're all walking, you know, at a reasonable pace. And she just, she keeps getting further and further behind. And so we tell her, like, hey, come on, you need to stay with us. Keep up. You need to stay with us. And she would just kind of smile. And, and she just kept lagging even further. And we keep saying, hey, catch up, you need to stay with us. And she wouldn't do it. And so we were coming down the steps and she just slowed down basically just to a crawl. And so I looked at her, you probably know where this is going. And I said, okay, all right, we're going to keep going by. And so the stairs were right around a corner. And so I turned the corner 
as soon as I said that. And you can imagine probably what happened. As soon as I turn the corner, I hear her crying. And so I just ran. No. <laughs> so obviously I turned right back around and I said, you need to come and and she runs. Okay, thanks. Good. You need to keep up with us. All right, so why did I do that? Did I do that to be mean? Well, of course not. Right? I'm, she thought that she was fine on her own. As I tell her, you need to stay with us. On some level, she's saying, no, I don't. I'm good. But that's not reality. Right? A four-year-old does not need to walk by herself. She needs her parents. But it wasn't until... It wasn't until I put her in that situation where her need, when I withheld something from her and it it exposed her need, right? All of a sudden she feels like she's got everything she needs and all of a sudden she feels it. Wait a minute, I'm all alone. I can't do it, I'm four. I do need that. And that's exactly what God's doing here. He's, He's showing his people, he's showing them what's really true about them. You have a big need, you can't meet it, and you need to turn to me for it, because I can, and they just don't see it. All right, so what about us? Um, you know, God, like we said, it's a pattern of salvation. God does the same thing. Um, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you're here tonight, you're a believer, I bet that you, um, you at least occasionally, maybe, maybe often feel like I do, um, that, that life may be more often as a Christian, feels like not so much life in the promised land, but it feels like life in the wilderness uh, where you feel like, yeah, you feel like things are just not the way that they're supposed to be. Um, Yeah, that it, it feels like living in the desert, right? When life just doesn't seem to work out and everything's going wrong. And it's because sometimes God puts us through these sort of wilderness experiences, if you will, And he does it because he loves us. Because he wants us to see that what we tend to love won't sustain us. And so he shows us our hearts. So what does it look like? Maybe it looks like when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. And your relationship falls apart and you feel like God's punishing punishing you. And what do we do? We we grumble. This is ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. Like... Did, I'm doing everything right. I'm a great boyfriend or girlfriend. and Why, why would God do this? It just doesn't make any sense. And is it, is it just possible that God is showing you, showing us, that, that you're really trying to run your life on this thing or this person and it just can't sustain you? Or maybe when you find that your money uh, is going out faster than it's coming in. And you're doing the math and it's just not sustainable. This is not going to work. And, you know, your mind immediately goes to the, to, the, uh, to the extreme. And I'm running out of money. And what do we Grumble, grumble, grumble. This is, you know, I'm not, I have to work harder than all my friends. And I just, you know, why would God not let me have money? And why, why did my car have to break and all this? And is it just possible that what God is doing is, is he's pushing you to see that, that you've got this big need in life and money's just not going to satisfy it. For me, uh, I thought last week, 
I thought uh, it can often be um, when I, you know, after a sermon or a Bible study or something like that, and I, it just didn't, I didn't feel like it went well. And I just don't feel like I made sense. And why, why would, and it's just grumble, grumble, grumble. Why would God, I mean, doesn't he want his word to go out? And why didn't that one make sense? Right, my heart's exposed. And I think what God is showing me is that, look, you've got a big need and preaching good sermons or having good Bible studies is just not going to satisfy you. It can't, it can't save you. Because sometimes people leave, we fail tests, uh, you lose money, you preach bad sermons, you can't run your life on those things, right? They just don't satisfy. And we don't have time to get into this, but sometimes we actually do get what we want, and God still lets us feel the hunger. Um, when you... Uh, you know, you do get the car that you wanted, you do get the relationship, you do get the whatever, and you feel the hunger of, this is great, but is this all there is? You realize you still want more. All right, so I think you see that God's, uh, God's gracious withholding. Sometimes he's gracious to hold back. Secondly, I want you to see God's gracious provision. God's gracious provision. Um... God makes us feel our need so that he can meet them. So that he can show us how gracious he is by giving us what we need. Um, and I want you to see now how God meets the needs here in this passage. What does he do? Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And then God tells them, I'm going to provide you quail, which it's a bird. I don't know if you know that. Um, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you bread and not only just bread, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you food, and I'm going to give you good food. And so God tells them, uh, he's, every morning he's going to give them this manna. And they say, what, what is this, right? And I don't know if, you're, if there's a note in your Bible, but basically what is it is, the Hebrew for what is it is manna. It's like a whatchamacallit, basically. Um, they've never seen anything like it, and they don't know what it is. And so what, what you see is that God is showing them very vividly that I'm going to meet, I'm going to meet your needs. And I'm not just going to meet them, but I'm going to do it in abundance. I'm going to give you good things. Right? He doesn't just let them not go hungry. He gives them different kinds of food to eat. And he gives them plenty of it. Um, and I want you to notice, right, did you notice the instructions were very, uh, very particular? And even in his instructions of how he provides the bread, it's like he's still forcing them to see, to see something about how much he cares for them. Right? He says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give this to you every single morning. You're going to get up and you're going to gather it up for yourself. And no matter how much you gather up, even if you, if you can't gather up very much at all, it's going to be enough to sustain you. And it's going to be there every day. And Moses says, but don't keep it overnight. Because God's going to give you fresh stuff in the morning. And some of them tried to keep it, and it, you know, it, uh, it rotted away. And then on the sixth day, he's going to give them twice as much, because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any. And on, on that sixth night, and only that sixth night, it is going to keep, so that they can rest on the seventh day. It's like God is forcing them to see, look, I'm the one that sustains you. And what they're really, like I said, forced to see 
is that it's this very intimate, everyday sustenance. That like we said at the beginning, God doesn't just save them from the Egyptians and say, look, I did you a huge solid, right? I took you out of Egypt. You're not slaves anymore. You're free to do whatever. Go get them. Because that wouldn't be very good. Then they would be right to say, like, well, we could have just died in Egypt. But he brings them out. He gives them this one-time salvation. And then he's with them every single day, sustaining them. Each person, no matter how much they gather, gets what they need. It's very intimate, very personal. All right, but we need to go back to our Deuteronomy 8 passage and see what it tells us about it because it's actually even more than that. And this is where it gets really good. So back to Deuteronomy 8. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And here it is. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. All right, so do you see what Moses is saying about this event? That God is not just showing them, look, this is where the sermon sort of takes a turn, and if you don't track, right, you're going to keep going straight and you're going to miss it. That God is, is showing them not just that I'm the one that will sustain, will provide food for you, He's showing them, I am the food that you need. Not just that I'm the giver of good things, but I am what you feed on. That what you need, what the Israelites need, what you and I need more than anything else, more than even food every day, is that we need need God Himself. That He sustains us by being in right relationship. And while it might be a little hard to to see that played out here in this passage, uh, it becomes very vivid in the New Testament. In John 6, John 6 is uh, one of the accounts of what we call the feeding of the 5,000, which was probably more like, I'm sure you know, you know, 10 to 15 or more thousand people. So right, a whole feral center full of people. And Jesus does this miraculous uh, thing. He takes two fish and five pieces of bread... And he miraculously multiplies it and feeds everyone in there. And there's plenty left over. And so he goes on, the account goes on to tell us that the next day, the people that experience that, they catch up to Jesus and they start to ask him about it. And they basically say, they, they kind of start to connect the dots. They say, you know, our, uh, our fathers, right, like year, thousands of years ago, uh, Moses fed them bread in the wilderness And so they bring that up, and Jesus says, uh, he corrects them, and he says, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. All right, so I hope you see the point. That what's going on in Exodus... God providing bread for his people is really just this pointer. I mean, as amazing as it is then, it's this pointer to what he's going to do in Jesus Christ. That he is going to come himself. Right? God incarnate. 
is going to come. And man is going to live not by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does John say about Jesus? The Gospel of John. That Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He's the Word incarnate. So what we see is that in the person and work of Jesus, God comes and He sustains His people. Like what we see pictured here in the wilderness, He does literally, physically, and spiritually here and now in Jesus Christ. He does it by accomplishing our salvation, by taking our place, living the life that we, that we should live but can't, dying the death that we deserve, And what I want you to see, especially tonight as we, as we wind up here, just a few minutes, is that Jesus is not just this one-time salvation, get-out-of-jail-free card. But it certainly is that in a sense. But it's so much more. It's not just this, I get my sins forgiven, which is amazing. But that Jesus daily sustains us. In other words, that Jesus is, He has to be what we run on every day. He's the only thing that can truly satisfy us. All right, what do I mean? What, what would that look like? It means that, that when your grades, when your grades stink, and maybe you start to feel, you start to feel like an idiot, and you start to feel embarrassed about it, and you get it. It means that what, what gets you out of bed in the morning and allows you to go and face your schoolwork and actually try and maybe even fail is the truth that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And it has nothing to do with your grades or how smart you are or aren't. It means that when you look in the mirror and you start to think as you look at yourself, that's just gross. And you begin, you start to berate yourself with, with thoughts of how much more you should exercise or how, fewer, uh, how many fewer calories you need to take in. Um, and you start to beat yourself up about those things. That what can begin to battle that thought is that Jesus loves you so much that He wants you to be His bride, that He thinks you're so beautiful that He's wed Himself to you. And that's a daily sustenance. It means that when you think about how much of a fraud you are because of how much porn you've looked at or how many guys you've hooked up with or whatever it might be, And you think, gosh, if if my friends knew, they would never be friends with me. And you you start to feed yourself a plate full of shame and and hope that that will sustain you and make you quit. And it never does. It will for a little while, but it never lasts. That what you can actually battle that with and what actually will sustain you is the truth that Jesus doesn't, that Jesus is not just not ashamed of you. Not only is he not ashamed of you, but he is so, he loves you so much that he would identify himself with you. That he would bind his life to your life. 
So how do we do that? We'll end with this, these two thoughts. How do we feed on, how, how do we feed on or live by the word of God, which is God himself? I want to give you two ways. One, the first way is by feeding on his word written. Feeding on the written word. Now look, does that mean that reading our Bibles sustains us? Well, in, in one sense, no. If by that we mean that there's this sort of activity called reading our Bibles or quiet time that God gives us, and it's sort of this um, hoop to jump through so that we can show God how serious we are about this whole thing and he can have some you know, uh, measurement of how serious we are, and if we're serious enough, then he can, uh, he'll sustain us, right? Um, or that it's, it's, um, it's basically like some sort of ego trip for God, uh, you know, that he wants enough um, hits on his podcast, right, enough downloads on his podcast. And if you stroke his ego enough, then he'll like, okay, we'll sustain, you know, I'll sustain you. In that sense, absolutely not. But absolutely in the sense... That what sustains you is hearing what, what you run on every day is hearing God say, I love you. You matter to me. Nothing else in the world matters to me more than you. And hearing and seeing God say, here's what I've done for you. Here's how much I love you. And hearing God say, I love you so much that that I want you to see that to live in this way is how you'll thrive. Because that's that's what your Bibles are telling you. And if you're not hearing that, you're getting the wrong message. come, Come talk to me about that. That's how we feed on God's word. That's why we need to feed on it. Secondly, we feed on his word made visible. Right? Jesus gives us this great thing called the sacrament, uh, the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. He gives us this living illustration, right, of how his body is what feeds us, and his blood is what sustains us. And we do it all in the context of of a community of people that are struggling just like we are, called the church. He gives us this to show us how much He loves us and how, how He it reminds us of how He sustains us. Now, why does He do that? I want to end with this illustration. He gives us those things to tell us over and over and over and remind us that He loves us because we forget. Some of you might have heard me say this, but having a, <clears throat> I had a good friend in college, we're still good friends and uh, she I remember her telling us that when she was you know a, a little girl that she at some point she became you know aware enough to realize that her dad told her that he loved her a lot more than other people's dads like he told her that all the time and so she she asked him one time, Daddy, why do you, she's still, you know, fairly little girl, why do you tell me that you love me all the time? And he said, I tell you that I love you all the time 
Because I only heard my daddy tell me that he loved me once. And it's very easy to forget. And he said, I don't want you to ever forget that I love you. And that's why I tell you all the time. Look, that is exactly what God is doing. That's why God gives us his word. Because we're prone to forget him. And he wants, us to, rem- he wants to remind us that he loves us and he daily sustains us. And that all of that's offered to us for free. And that's an invitation even tonight. I hope you take it. Let me pray for this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself for us. Help us to feed on you as the bread of life. Jesus, we ask it in your name. Amen.